Hi, I'm Michaela McGuirk-Scalaro and you're listening to City Road. The 2022 Festival of Urbanism has provided us with some fantastic panel discussions on the threats and opportunities facing our cities. In January 2022, the Indonesian government approved plans to build Nusantara, a new green and smart capital city on the island of Borneo. In this episode, we join a panel of experts as they discuss the planning, design and political agendas behind the new capital and the challenges and opportunities this presents for Southeast Asian urbanism. In this panel, we hear from the Chief Advisor to the IKN, or the new National Capital City Transition Team, Buck Bambang Projonjoro, the founder and director of Urban Plus and the architect for Nusantara, Buck Buck Sibarani Sofian, an associate professor of urban design at Monash University, Indonesia, Dr. Ika Permanasari. I'll let our chairperson, Dr. Gemma Purdy from the Australia Indonesia Centre at Monash University, Sarasov. Before we begin, I acknowledge the Wurundjeri people and the Kulin Nation the traditional owners of the lands and waters where I speak from today. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging, as well as the traditional owners of the land from wherever you may be joining us today. In January 2020, the Indonesian government approved plans to build Nusantara, a new green and smart Indonesian capital city or Ibu Kota Negara on the island of Kalimantan a key project for President Joko Widodo, the origins of the idea to move the nation's capital away from Jakarta on the densely populated island of Java to Kalimantan, dates back to the 1950s and Indonesia's first president, Sukarno. Seven decades later, work has now begun to transform more than 200,000 hectares of forested land in the eastern part of the island into the new administrative capital for this nation of over 270 million people. Indonesia's new president has set an ambitious deadline of early 2024 to complete the first stage of relocation of government agencies to the new capital. Can I now invite you as our first speaker to share your presentation? Uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Gemma Pordi, distinguished uh, panelists, participants, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, very good afternoon, and uh, I'm glad to be part of this panel discussion. And I would like to start with the idea that the move of the movement of new capital is not just an administrative purpose, but rather it's a part of the giant strategy of better urbanization in Indonesia. I think we all understand that urbanization is no longer a problem. I mean, if you read some kind of uh, economic development textbook in the past, usually they are talking urbanization more as a problem. But these days, especially if we compare developed economy and developing economy, clearly urbanization is a part of bringing the country towards developed economy with higher uh, income per capita. So urbanization now becomes a necessity. And the fact is everywhere in the world, the number of people living in urban area becomes more dominant. As you can see in this slide, in which in developed economies, uh, the number of people living in urban area, 
But then if we compare with, let's say, developing economies, especially in Asia, Oceania, including Indonesia, I think uh, we already have the urbanized trend, but then uh, the level of urbanization might not be at the optimal level. And of course, uh, urbanization is important. It is a fact. Now it becomes necessity. But then the next question, how can we optimize the urbanization trend? As we can see on the next slide, a study from World Bank indicating that every 1% increase in the level of urbanization causes an increase in GDP per capita by certain percentage. So it means that urbanization has something to do with uh, every country, every economy's effort to, you know, to upgrade from middle income country into upper middle and finally into high income country. And if you look at the, uh, the result of the study in the countries in Asia, for example, Indonesia, unfortunately, not yet really optimizing the fact that we are urbanizing because every 1% increase in the level of urbanization in Indonesia only increase our GDP per capita only by 4%, much less than even Thailand, our neighbors in ASEAN, way less than China and India, 13% and 10%. Of course, we are now in the upper middle income country and we have, we have the aspiration to be out of middle income trap by 2045 to be part of the high income economy. But then, you know, we still have uh, room to, to reach that ambition by optimizing our urbanization strategy. And the latest data indicating that Indonesia basically is already urbanized country. More than 50%, 55% in 2018, for example, of population living in urban area. In 2045, it is projected that the total population living in urban area will be more than 70%. But of course, when urbanization takes place, there will be some challenges. Number one challenges would be about housing, because with the increase of population, increase of population density especially, certainly the price or the cost of housing will be increasing. And as you can see in Indonesia, housing still takes you know, a quite significant amount of uh, household income. So for example, in Jakarta, uh, every family in Jakarta has to spend 40% of their, let's say, uh, income, monthly income uh, for affordable housing. It's just an affordable housing. But in Indonesia in general, because we still have so-called income disparity from region to the others, then the ratio is still quite high. You can imagine from all of your income, 61% needs to be spent just for the housing. So the way to provide affordable housing will be one of the biggest challenges when you are facing with urbanization uh, strategy. And of course, uh, when we are talking about the house of price itself, we can see, uh, although maybe, you know, the price of our houses in Indonesia, in many major urban areas, uh, still less than cities like Shenzhen, Hong Kong, or Taipei, or Beijing, with higher uh, population density. But for example, 
the price in Bandung already higher than Seoul, for example, and the price of Jakarta less than Bandung, but higher than London and Bangkok. Of course, you know the data could be varying from year to year, but it means that we have a big challenge in terms of housing. So housing issue is just one aspect of urban planning. If we are talking about our integrated or whole, uh, the comprehensive urban planning aspect, then of course we have to consider the land use planning on the next page, please. Land use planning, integrated resource planning, the transportation planning itself and environmental policy. We want our urban area to be at the most ideal in terms of their land use, uh, integrated resource, transport, public transportation especially, and also of course environmental. But unfortunately, why uh, at the beginning, our urbanization not yet optimal to promote, let's say the economic growth and improving uh, income per capita. It's because in many urban areas in Indonesia, the urban planning is there, of course, we cannot deny that, but it is still suboptimal. Maybe, you know, very much suboptimal compared to the ideal one. So as a result, we still have a lot of urban problems in terms of unaffordable housing, the one that I just mentioned, high utility costs, especially for water, uh, not just electricity, congestion, traffic congestion, and certainly environmental damage like the, the you know, the bad quality of air, air pollution uh, in some air quality in some of urban areas in Indonesia. So the idea to build the new capital and move the uh, administration capital from Jakarta to the IKN or to Nusantara is not just, as I mentioned, just shifting the center of administration, but rather is a grand strategy to start in, uh, significantly improving the urbanization strategy in Indonesia. So that's why if we look at next page, we are trying to solve some of basic urban problems that happening not only in Jakarta, but many urban areas in Indonesia, like housing with the high backlog and then unequal development of public facilities and service, especially water. I think some people in Indonesia sometimes forget to get a, a liter of water, clean water is very expensive. And if you, if you can do it, I mean, if you can access the clean water, maybe at the relatively affordable rate, usually it because you you get the groundwater, which is not, of course, environmental friendly. And of course, we are trying to solve the transportation problem, uh, trying to you know to to reduce significantly the congestion using the public transport, and certainly how we can increase uh, the quality of air in many urban areas in Indonesia. So in general, the idea of the optimal urbanization strategy in Indonesia is to reduce the cost of living and to increase productivity. So we are trying to do it from both sides, from the in our income side and also from our expenditure side. And if you look at some of KPIs or uh, key performance index of the new capital Nusantara, I mean, of course, there are some details, but in general, we are trying to make the cities ideal, livable, and of course, affordable at the same time. Livable meaning that, you know, a better 
quality of uh, air, and then we are talking about 75% for green space, and then uh, the city has to be like the national city rather than regional city. So we hope it will create some melting pot of all ethnicities in Indonesia. And also, of course, the city has to be well connected, including 80% trips, hopefully could be done by public transportation. And then we are talking about implementation of circular and resilient economy, safe and affordable city, certainly, and convenience, efficiency. And don't forget, the city needs to grow and robust economic opportunity has to be there in our uh, capital, our new capital city. And then uh, just to give some emphasis on this uh, key performance index, we are trying to design the Nusantara more as a forest city. That's why 75% has to be green space. And of course, we try to consider the fact that Kalimantan or Borneo is like the, the center of tropical forests uh, at the global level. So that's why the city has to be adaptive to the surrounding area that is basically tropical forest. And part of the effort in Nusantara is not just building the, building the cities and trying to bring the activities into the area, but more importantly, rehabilitation and reforestation in different parts of new capital area, including other parts of East Kalimantan. And then not only about the forestry, the idea of forest city has to be complemented by the green energy. That's why renewable energy will be the major source or basically renewable and clean energy will be the 100% sources of energy provision in this uh, new capital with the idea that net zero emission could be achieved by 2045 when the city will be basically completed. And of course, uh, nationally, we have net zero emission target, I think 2060. So hopefully, uh, the new capital will be way faster, way quicker than the national target. And different types of renewable energy hopefully will be uh, deployed in new capital city, uh, the solar panel, floating, rooftop, and also we are talking about waste to energy, we are talking about other types like biomass and others. So hopefully the city will complement the status as forest city with uh, clean, new and clean energy. And certainly the other aspect of the forest city is circular and resilient Nusantara. And circular economy will be applied with the vision that 60% of waste will be reused and recycled and 40% waste to product, I mean to other product or waste to energy. Of course, we have different types of waste as you know very well. And then we know that there are several sources of waste, but more importantly, how to mainstream the circular economy in the activities in the Nusantara with not only four R's, but nine R's, as you can see from refuse, rethink, reduce, reuse, repair until recover. So the idea is how to implement the circular and resilient new capital with the target of 0% landfill at the end. And as a conclusion, we hope that our new grand strategy of urbanization in Indonesia will start from this new capital city and also uh, apply to any other cities in Indonesia. But as you know, 
making adjustment in the existing cities, especially existing big and highly density uh, cities, I think will be uh, taking time, will be spending too much energy, and of course, uh, very costly. So at least we start with this new capital, and we hope this will be sustainable, livable, and digital metropolitan area. Why metropolitan? Because this Nusantara will not be there only by its own. It will create system of cities with two big nearby cities. One is Samarinda and the other is uh, Balikpapan. So the system of three cities will create the idea that this is new metropolitan area, new source of growth in the eastern part of Indonesia. And the mission will be inclusive, sustainable public service, economically competitive, and the government has to be innovative. So uh, basically, this is the ideas why we are trying to build the new capital. So but again, it's not just about moving the center of administration, but more as a part of better urbanization for the people and also for the nation. Thank you very much. Terima kasih banyak. Thank you very much, Pak Bambang. Wow, what an extraordinary um, ambition this project is and all power to you. It's uh, it's such a wonderful um, uh, overview that you have given us there of, of what you are undertaking, which as you uh, are saying is uh, goes beyond just one city but um, is, a, is really preparing to be a prototype perhaps, um, so to speak, for, for other cities in Indonesia, but also more broadly um, in the world and around Southeast Asia. So terima kasih, Pak. We will have questions for you um, okay. at the conclusion. So now it is my pleasure to introduce uh, Bapak Sibarani uh, to begin his presentation. Terima kasih, Pak. Silakan. Thank, thank you, Dr. Jema. High regards for all the participants and also for the fellow speaker, Bamba, Ubueka, and also the committee of the Festival of Future Urbanism. Uh, I would like to uh, spend probably the next 20 minutes to discuss and follow up more about what Bamba has already uh, laid out uh, the fundamentals of the planning and also the driving force for why we are moving in the capital city. But in this particular moment, I would like to uh, spend a little bit more time to probably go into the certain level of details that hopefully can drive some discussion among the participants here uh, to put more sort of uh, information that could be used for your, your knowledge to understand the city better. Uh, I wouldn't repeat the uh, presentation from Bambang about why we want to move the capital city there, but just to give you a kind of like a geographical position, the location of our capital city right in the middle of Indonesia, and it's in the East Kalimantan uh, province, and we are doing the capital city, uh, as Bambang already mentioned, it's not only uh, one city, but it's also uh, multiple cities that has three different scales of planning, we have the KPITN, which is a regional metropolitan of the capital city of about 250,000. And we have the KIKN, which is the core uh, urban area that has uh, multiple uh, cities that has all the different teams. And also the KIPP, which is the core government uh, area, which we will concentrate uh, our effort for the first phase of development that is upcoming in the 2024. Um, and also looking into the infrastructures surrounding the, the capital city in here, 
as you know, Balikpapan and Samarinda being the other two cities that will substantiate the number of uh, population and also uh, development uh, support that will uh, interest each other. And if you look at, if you can see also some of the connectivity that is uh, already established, which is the toll roads is coming in, and there will be the dotted line in here is the, the new uh, plan uh, connectivity that's going straight into the government core. And uh, some of this information in here that you may probably of the interest is there are also regional transportation like train accessibility, airport, uh, and also port that will support this area. And also uh, about five to six different uh, reservoir and uh, water reservoir that will be the supply of the fresh water into the city. And each of these city will have uh, different themes. Uh, like for example, the number two is the uh, economic center. It's also the number three being in health services. Number four is the tourism and entertainment, education, innovation, agriculture, et cetera. So we are not only creating the physical uh, aspect of the city, but we are also trying to bring in different team and economic uh, drivers to enable the city to be able to perform as a full functioning city and the population that we are talking about will be in the range of 1.8 to uh, 1.5 to 1.8 million comparing this to uh, the metropolitan jakarta that is about 34 million this is uh, definitely a different scales and also different density so as you also aware that we are entering an area that has a lot of natural features and the vision of being a smart forest city is uh, something that uh, new for us and we are learning, but we are also uh, aspiring to create a harmony, uh, a transformative effort to create a new model city that really try to strike the balance between the nature and the population and urban area. And I think this is our golden opportunity to start from scratch and we are uh, really trying hard to put all the most, uh, I would say, the most uh, available technology knowledge in urbanism that we can put together in here. And um, I really welcome in input and sort of like contribution from thinking and, and thought leadership that we can have within this forum. And I just uh, kind of uh, trying to really bring this uh, to the attention that our pillars for the vision for capital city from our president is uh, threefold. Yeah. Uh, reflect national identity, ensure sustainability, uh, by, be it in economic, uh, social, and environment, and also being a smart, modern, international city. And it's not only a symbol of national identity, but it's also a representation of the overall advancements of the society of Indonesia. So this really high task that we are not only trying to uh, balance our relationship between nature and man, but we are also really trying to uh, embark into the future of what would be the Indonesian forward 2045 vision. And uh, just a snapshot of the, the very beginning when uh, President Joko Widodo bring this idea forward to the international stage uh, just before the COVID. Uh, he did mention about all the one on the right is all these KPIs that uh, uh, Bambang already mentioned. It's really high uh, target, which is really something that become uh, homework for all of us, the planners, to create and try to uh, put this into the plan. And uh, just for the emphasizing the the three pillars, the capital city as a nation excellence and advanced representation. So we really try to bring the Indonesian identity 
to uh, forward. And some of that um, uh, interpretation, we bring this into the, the space and we start to create uh, also looking back to our uh, national and also our historical values that we have as a, a nation where in the past we do have a lot of our symbol of our nationalism based on how we retreat and also how we relate to the environment and our nature. So we have this definity, the hilly area as uh, typically our uh, expression in the cosmology where we put in the higher uh, being uh, things that beyond our capacity or our capability as something that is uh, on the higher definity and where we human will try to kind of like somewhere in the middle and the nature especially here uh, looking down to the balik papan bay we try to really preserve and we respect that so this uh, cosmological axis i think ibu eka will uh, touch on that later on how we uh, express our uh, national identity here. And if just looking into that uh, visualization on how this gonna come to, to uh, fruitation, we design certain area of the civic to become an axis in the same tradition with many of the capital city in the world that has this axis symbol. But then what we try to interpret in our uh, nature condition and the topography that we have, we include a lot of our archipelagic and also forest constellations into the public space design. And that's where we start to look into also the diversity of Indonesian culture to be symbolized in this so-called uh, international stage. And how do we look into the second um, aspect, which is uh, striking sustainability between man, man and nature? We really try to preserve the natural ecosystem, try to keep the KPI of the nature, especially 75%. Putting those together is uh, an art on itself, it's also a science on itself. We really try to be really careful about where we put all the development paths. We really try to identify and secure the natural corridor and we really try to respond to the topo topography, which is undulating. So the road system that you can see in here is very, a much kind of like organic, but there is certain structure to it. And the, the, the urban area is also trying to respond to the green fingers and also the natural corridor that we don't touch. And as you, as for the everybody's uh, information, the, the area in here is not necessarily coming from a virgin forest. It is already a disturbed forest where the production forest is already occupying the space as we speak, uh, mostly paper pulp like acacia and eucalyptus. So we really try to uh, sort of like tiptoeing between the area that we think is not sensitive and building the uh, urban model in, in that. And therefore we, we end up with the, the concept of archipelago, something that is not necessarily physically trying to have water all over the place and surrounded by ocean, but we are surrounded uh, on itself uh, by a lot of greenery and the greenery is uh, made out from the uh, water and also green corridor that we think that it's going to uh, become a distinct identity to our town so we create a transit-based polycentric city we interconnect between these parts of developable area where we are intertwining with the green and and therefore we embrace a lot of mimicking the forest and how the urban area can be really try to 
uh, find certain resemblance, find certain uh, behavior and uh, adaptation to, to the nature itself. Like you can see in here, like on the using a solar panel to absorb energy, having a vertical garden, having certain area of uh, ground that is lifted up to create, to allow the water and the, and the animals to, and also people to move through freely and having a f efficient infrastructure as part of our urban model. And not to mention on the third principle or the third vision, we have to also embrace the digital technology advancement, anything that the future can provide to us. We try to accommodate and we are uh, putting the future ready living and smart living, allowing the uh, various uh, tools and IoT to come into place. And we anticipated with creating certain allowance for for example, multi-utility tunnel that is on the on the certain level of the area, and of course, all this KPI that we discussed uh, earlier has to be come into place. That we have to make sure that the smart metropolis also can embrace the performance of the city itself using the latest technology in modeling and also in digital twinning, uh, and also uh, monitoring how the city will come into place and using the ICT infrastructures. And just to give you an idea of how the KPIs that uh, Bambang already mentioned, if you look into this into one deck as a simply numbers that uh, looks like it's very ideal on its own, but when we try to put it all together, it does have certain level of influence uh, over another that you cannot necessarily pick one and win in that category, but then ignore the other one like for example 70 to 75 green area is a huge amount of green and yet we need to bring people together in the close proximity of 10 minutes walking so how do we do about that is a challenge that we have and which we try to put together in this uh, several slides that we uh, provide already so just to give you the five transformation uh, effects and also an area that uh, the president uh, actually mandated for us in, in, the, in the planning uh, interpretation is the transformation in nature preservation, the transformation in nationalism, transformation in living, movement and working. So we hope that the urban model in here will transform the people that live in this and it become a model for our uh, transformation of civilization later. Uh, just quickly going through on, in more detail on how we try to enhance the quality of the environment. We try to also bring back the corridor, uh, the connectivity uh, in ecological uh, point of view, trying to bring in also biodiversity enhancement, try to also do the rainwater harvesting uh, as much as we can. And then um, on the second one, bringing the transformation in nationalism, uh, we, as you, as we already discussed before, we we bring in the uh, element of cultures into uh, what we call the stage of the nature and culture together, and we believe that the history, nature, and culture needs to be uh, stitched together into this physical interpretation that people can learn from. People can really understand how we relate to our culture, uh, relate to our nature in the interpretation, and how we actually bring the culture of this, which we sometimes in the modern uh, urban context, we tend to forget this, 
although a lot of the local wisdom is actually there. So while we are looking at international model, uh, also the forefronts of the planning, we are also looking into ourselves. We we'll try to see what are the wisdom and also values that we can bring to our Indonesian Nusantara. And transformation in living also something that we really try to push hard. Pabamang just now mentioned about how difficult to have uh, affordable and decent housing. On top of that, we try to also transform the way we we live and in the new uh, capital city by creating more collaborative space. We try to interconnect more. We bring the society together. The Indonesian are very fond of being in the in the close community uh, sort of uh, fabric. So we try to create this uh, space, a social space in the public area, but also embracing the future technology, the green and the smart living and compact living modules while, while having the environment around us. So we really try to bring the live and work and play not too far from where they work. They can easily move from one place to another. There will be electric bus. There will be personalized motor motorized uh, system to move from one place to another, especially in this very undulating area. And uh, try to also bring the, the whole in one environment where you can have this uh, urban farming. You can have also the children playground. You can have uh, collaboration space. Uh, entrepreneurial space because our Indonesian uh, society like to have uh, also area to work, uh, informal working, especially for those who's staying at home, but they have extra time to do uh, sort of like small little uh, shops or also services. So that needs to be also coming in into the integrated uh, area. And also talking about transformation in movement, we really to, I mean, this is a golden opportunity for us not to repeat the our mistake of putting the public transport first to create this uh, network of public transport and pedestrian and bicycle uh, in the day one while we can, because we can afford this in here, while we cannot afford it in the, in the existing cities, a lot of our existing cities trying and struggling hard to to really try to increase the public space area, the public transport area, but then uh, deprioritizing the vehicular, the personal vehicle. In here, we do have an opportunity to start from the day one, although it will need a lot of effort and also uh, capital in doing that. But if we can achieve this, then we will be able to create a infrastructure of a city that is concentrated on public transport at the heart. And you can create a walkable environment within certain level of distance that can really uh, being used by pedestrian first. So we start uh, prioritizing on pedestrian, then the bicycling, transportation public, and also then uh, personal uh, vehicle will be the last and the least sort of a priority. And by doing that, also we need to make sure that people want to walk. So they need to walk in the comfortable area, especially in the climate of uh, East Kalimantan and near equatorial is hard and it's really uh, humid and we really need to bring people more direct. So we create this, what we call the integrated pedestrian connectivity. And this could be in the form of the second level connection that not necessarily uh, that create a more uh, even uh, elevation instead of going up and down because our area is hilly. Uh, so we connect people using a lot of uh, means of transport, and this is just a visualization on how to create that. And we really 
need to do uh, both a physical planning and a policy that come together to really bring this uh, idea together. And uh, the last but not the least is how we transform our way of working. So we really need to transform and I would say uh, revolutionize the way we work. As we know today, uh, by using technology and especially during the disruption of the COVID, people don't necessarily have to share the space in the office anymore. A lot of the works can be done in uh, remotely where we can allow also the hybrid workplace that also allow the nature to blend in. We also try to create this multi-layered program and seamless workplace where people can connect uh, from one to area to another. As you probably know, a lot of the government uh, in many, many uh, instances are very uh, sectoral and silos. So by creating a physical uh, connection between one to another, allowing them to connect better among the government uh, officials and also among the, uh, the businesses also. So we try to create this uh, and hope that it will transform the, the workplace uh, in, the, in the future. And some of the uh, interpretation you can see in here is also the need to be green. It's not necessarily all high tech, but it, it needs a solar panel to uh, embrace energy. But then we also try to bring in the nature at the same time, bringing the people together. So it is kind of like a tricky um, way to, to do this. But then I think throughout design and architecture, especially if we are inspired by the way we have our vernacular architecture in, in the past, we, we elevate, we put things on stilts, we put a pillowty allowing the penetration of nature in the, at the, at the lower ground, but then the upper ground and the, and the podium level, we can connect people. We can also open the area to the public and where the government can still work on the upper floor. So allowing design intervention to, the, to our uh, way of working and living. So just to give you an idea, the design is actually uh, end up with a certain level of uh, plans that you can see here. This is the phase 1A of our government center. The, the core, of course, the, the palace, and we have this axis. We have also the legislative and the judicative, and we have also the ministry that is colored with blue here. So this is some portion of this will be something that we will uh, envision to happen in 2024. But of course, this is just the beginning and we will continue to push and do the next level of uh, design and planning and also implementation in the next futures. So with that, I hope that the information will be sufficient for everybody. Uh, back to you, Gemma. Thank you. Terima kasih banyak, Pak. Never enough time. This is uh, an extraordinary <laughs> project. I've said it a few times and obviously 20 minutes is never going to do it justice. But I have many, many questions coming into the Q&A box. Thank you to everybody for those. And we will be able to go back over and, and ask some more questions of you at that point. So thank you so much. Okay, with that, I will introduce um, Ba'epa Eka and ask her to please share her screen. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you very much, Gemma, for this opportunity and um, happy to see Pak Bambang again, Pak Sibarani. So I'm very happy to share about the view uh, discussing about our capital city from the academic perspective. Yeah, I'm trying to decoding Nusantara master plan. So if Pak Bambang uh, discusses the plan 
uh, the plan of, uh, of the master plan from the government's perspective. And Asibarani talks about uh, the master plan from the urban designer's perspective. So I'm looking at the way in which how this master plan impact the national identity. So capital uh, movement is not uh, a new thing. Yeah, um, there might be a lot of cities that have moved its capital. Now, in 2005, for instance, Myanmar relocated the capital city from Old Yangon to Naipidao, for instance, uh, and another case study, Brazil, for instance, moved its capital city to Brasilia, and of course, Australia also moved its capital city. Now, at the moment, there are two countries that are moving its capital. Uh, one is um, Egypt, and second one is Indonesia. So uh, we are going to look at how this master plan carries the narrative of symbolism of the new Indonesian capital. As we know, Indonesia has the world's fourth largest population with more than 2070 million people. However, for a large country, Indonesia is rather unique because unlike China or India or the US, which are all major and generally continuous continental, Indonesia consists of 17,000 completely separate islands. And the island of Java alone is home uh, to more than 60% of Indonesia's total populations of 145 million people. Now, if we look at Java, it contributes 59% of the national domestic brutto. As a result, Java is by far the most populous island with more people than Russia. Even during the colonial era, Java was the center of Indonesian population and culture. And so far from the post-colonial era, Java is the concentrated island where all the presidents, they are mostly from Java. And Javanese culture is pretty much dominating over other ethnicities. Now, even though it's an archipelagic nation, if we compare the Indonesian island of Europe, for instance, we can see that Java is roughly of uh, Northern Italy, and Kalimantan is as far as uh, Northern Germany and Poland. From a geographical standpoint, locating Indonesia's capital in Kalimantan creates a sense of centralization for the country. Now, even though it has been decided, some still question why Indonesia moved its capital. Now, actually, the plan of moving capital uh, was not a new idea. Since 1950s, the Indonesian government planned to relocate their capital, uh, their capital city, yeah? under Sukarno uh, as the first president. He identified Palankaraya, for instance, as the leading candidate. Meanwhile, under Suharto, the second president, he issued presidential decree number one, uh, 1997, regarding regional development coordination and designated Jongol as an independent city, originally intended to be the center of government. Under Susilo Bambang Yudhoyono, the fifth president, he proposed locating a new capital as an alternative to Jakarta. However, because Indonesia is not a stable country in terms of deciding, so the plan has been shelved until 2019. So Jakarta has been a capital city, and but the problem with Jakarta is it has severe problems such as population concentration, excessive groundwater extraction, land subsidence, and flood, which makes it as the fastest sinking city in the world. Jakarta also has a reputation for its traffic, economic disparities, and natural disaster. Improper planning of the city since the very beginning and the changes uh, in government have made Jakarta master plan really difficult to be executed. 
So in order to save the sinking city, Jakarta government launched the Jakarta Giant Garuda Seawall. Initially, the project was just to build three layers, but then later on, uh, they worked with the Dutch government and then the master plan was ex uh, expanded and it became the Garuda Giant Seawall spanning from the east to the west. However, this project received massive criticism as it will close off Jakarta Bay and I mean destroy the environment. At the same time, it was also too expensive and the project was seen as merely concrete, heavy technological approach in contrast with the solution that really addressed the cost of flooding. It was rather an impulse of concreting the nature. So controversies and criticism have put this project on hold and the government start to seek alternative solution for solving the problem. So therefore, we all know that in 2019, the government decided to move its capital to Kalimantan. So Pak Sibarani, Pak Bambang already mentioned about this, but it is interesting to look at the policies regarding the new capital. There are four main policies that are involved. The first one is law number three uh, two of 2002. This law, two main things, the summary of this, which is in this law, there is a decision to move the capital city and the naming of Nusantara. Now, the name of Nusantara was also being debated, but then uh, Nusantara means it's actually an archipelagic nation, yeah? And under this law, there is also an authority, uh, Bureau of the National Capital, Autorita IKN. So this will um, manage the uh, new capital city. The second uh, policy is the presidential regulation number 17 of 2002 which includes IKN development is funded by mainly the state budget and also private funding. Uh, this maybe answers the question uh, one of the uh, participants, yeah? And the third one about presidential regulation number 63 of 2022. And in this regulation, uh, there is a detailed IKN master plan that outlined fissioning, zoning, and staging. So some of the images that Pak Sibarani already uh, presented, it's all there in here. And the fourth one is the presidential regulation number 64 of 2022, which includes uh, uh, this outlines the core government, the capital cities, and also the waterways. So in a way that government was really uh, careful in terms of um, launching this capital and then secure that through the policies. And according to this presidential regulation number 63, there are three things uh, about this capital. The first one is about the forest city. Second is about the sponge city and a smart city. So these are the three main uh, ideas about our capital. Now, all these three was translated into eight principles and also KPIs that Pak Bambang, Pak Sibarani already mentioned that we have uh, to achieve 75% green areas and so on. I'm not gonna repeat that. So if you look at, at this level, all the policies are very good, yeah, laid out very nicely. Uh, but now let's have a look about our master plan, yeah, how it is translated into design. Now, if we look at the design, the master plan portrays the nation as a consisting as an archipelago, sea, and forest. And it, it represents a novel image of the archipelagic nation. Uh, the new capital is depicted as the center of power, not only for Indonesia but also Southeast Asian region. Within the capital core, there are a government center, business center, for instance, diplomatic and Pancasila Lake, and also botanical garden. So the nation 
is displayed as democratic, economically strong, sustainable, and based on the national foundation. Now, like many capital cities, Axis plays role in determining the myth of the nation. There are two main axes. I think Pasibarini uh, discussed about this one, but I'm looking at specifically these two axes. The first one, uh, what we call as the Kebangsaan axis. This Kebangsaan axis depicts the harmonious relationship between man, nature, and God. Yeah? And it serves as the main ceremonial uh, route where the parades and celebration will be held. The Kebangsaan or the nationalism axis symbolizes that the president is linked to the national foundation, the Pancasila Lake, and the nation of Moto uh, University of Diversity, Bineka Tunggal Ika. So the power should be in line with the national foundation at the same time reflects the multiculturalism. The second axis, which is interesting from this master plan is the Tripaja axis, which symbolizes the, the way power operates in Indonesia. Here, the presidential palace is in line with the judiciary and legislative buildings. Here, it really wants to say that the president authority is limited as it's always being watched by the judicial and legislative. So the axis and capital complex are highlighted in the middle and the pathway, the pathway to power symbolized by the yellow color links the great Indonesia palace and the symbol of national values, the Pancasila Lake over here. This pathway is displayed on strength axis, which is called as Sumbu Kebangsaan or nationalism axis. And in between these two poles lie the Plaza Bineka Tunggal Ika, uh, Plaza of Flags, National Gallery, Indonesian Struggle Museum. So if we read this, yeah, so the myth assembled is to refolk national identity through history of independence, Indonesian rich culture, and unified identity over various differences. The capital complex consists the government buildings are located along the axis, providing a sense of power displayed on a straight urban form. So in addition, this new capital city is also designed following the 10-minute city, where urban mobility become the key characteristic of the city. The new city is free from the traffic, environmentally friendly and comfortable. The image is completely different from the current capital city, Jakarta. In addition, the city is also portrayed as able to manage the water resources. Now, another interesting part from this master plan is the Pancasila Lake. This is uh, from the competition stage, but then Pasibarani already uh, developed this uh, design later on. But I think it is also interesting to look at how this Pancasila Lake plays a crucial role in depicting Indonesian unity. Pancasila, uh, we all know, refers to the Sanskrit term, which means pancha, which means five, and sila, which means values or principles. So here from the visual analysis, as you can see, the Pancasila Lake consists of five buildings representing five principles of Indonesian values, believing in God, humanity, unity, democracy, and social justice. So again, architecture and urban forms are being used in order to convey these values. Now, while Jakarta is notorious for having problems with water management, the new capital city is designed as having excellent water management. The Green Finger and Water Corridor assure the urban sustainability, which Jakarta fails to achieve over time. Here, as you can see, there are four main elements that are highlighted to convey this mechanism. Fellies and natural catchment areas, man-made biosphere, mangrove eco-park, hill preserve. 
the water management is displayed and ensure that flooding and water scarcity will not be affecting the new capital. Another significant feature, of course, from this master plan, initially, it was uh, the Great Indonesian Palace. At the competition level, the design of presidential palace took a form of the combination various vernacular architecture found in the archipelago. Here, the statement of unity and diversity is translated by collecting the similar features of vernacular architecture into one form. The combination of vernacular roofs reflects the national identity based on the hybrid traditionalism. So if we read the national identity established by the first president of Sukarno, for instance, he borrowed the idea of international style. That's why he built all this uh, building, yeah, like uh, MPR, DPR, um, the Semanggi Interchange, yeah? all those are following the international style. Under Suharto, it was back to the tradition. That's why he built this Taman Mini. But here under Jokowi, it's kind of like collecting everything and creating a new uh, a new form. But through the process, though, the design of the presidential palace was changed. Through a new design competition, the palace was transformed into a Garuda or eagle form. According to Nyoman Nuarte, the winner of the presidential palace design, the philosophy behind Garuda forms relates to the symbol of the nation. The wings represent the numbers of ethnicities found in the, uh, Indonesia, and its design contents of, of the forest. Therefore, Nuarta uh, continues, when the president has a meeting, he'll be protected by this forest. The Garuda not only symbolizes the idea of the nation, but also its people and works as the savior for the Indonesian. However, Garuda forms somehow replicates the giant Garuda seawall, the project that in collaboration with the Dutch government to save Jakarta from sinking. But again, uh, the design of Nuarta received uh, a lot of criticism. One reason is because he was not an, he's not an architect rather than a sculpture. Another reason is that the form is perceived not to respond to the nature. But amid this criticism, Nuarta insisted that the form was inspired by the diverse ethnic group in Indonesia, and he ensured that the state palace continues to be free uh, of the greenhouse effects and radiation. So I would like to sum up a few things yeah, to move forward. The country capitals is one of the most important choices for any nation's leader to make. The capital contains capital complex, which contains important government facilities, offices, and headquarters, and usually the primary residence of the national leadership. The capital city reflects the image of a country and its location carries symbolic meaning. The capital city should be seen as representative of the entire nation and be accessible to its citizen. It is a place where power is displayed, exercise, and control. Now, if we look at the new master plan, it conveys the meaning and symbolism. For the first time, the national identity was established by detaching itself from the colonial image, unlike Jakarta. The movement of capital city to Kalimantan can be seen as moving away from the Javanese domination of other ethnicities. However, while it is centrally located, the accessibility to the capital might be not easy accessible due to the infrastructure inequalities. Further, the ambitious plan that new capital city will be built by 2045 might have some problems to achieve. Current pandemic, difficulties in securing the funding might hinder the development of the new capital. The third thing is the new capital city is designed very different from the current travel city of Jakarta. The new dream, the vision are represented through new symbolism, smart, sustainable, environmentally friendly, democratic, economically sound, free from environmental disaster, 
and etc. Here, the role of architecture in urban forms become a key point in conveying political message. The definition and redefinition of Indonesian identity in the post-colonial era is reciprocating. The short transformation of meaning, the different approaches of government agendas, the struggles of creating a new identity. Now, the new capital's design and plans for sustainability are promising. However, we see that from the law, the design, yeah? However, whether it becomes a model for sustainable urban transformation in Southeast Asia or an impending environmental disaster will depend on how it is implemented and how the government regulates sustainable development across the entire island. If we fail to achieve this, it is feared that we cannot have a capacity that is a model for our future urbanism. Thank you. I will leave it up there, Gemma. Terima kasih banyak, Buck. Okay, that's wonderful. We, that leaves us with a good amount of time for our Q&A. So thank you again to all of our speakers for those wonderful presentations. So perhaps, Pak uh, Bambang, for you, the first question. Several questioners were interested to know, including Esther and Scott um, in the Q&A, about affordable housing or housing in uh, the new capital. And how, what is the plan um, to ensure that it doesn't result in the affordable housing problems that you mentioned exist nowadays in Jakarta, in, sorry, in Indonesian cities and elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. in fact, uh, we have to admit that our public housing policy in Indonesia not yet fulfilling the needs of majority of uh, our population, especially population in urban area. Yes, Ministry of Public Works, as well as local government, trying to now build some kind of low or uh, medium class apartments in order to fulfill the needs of the housing mm -hmm. and of course affordable housing but i believe we need to learn more from successful countries that already applied uh, a very good uh, public housing policy that could uh, accommodate majority of their population of course one good example would be singapore but uh, also, if you look at the Singapore case, uh, there are several other countries that already you know, have a national uh, housing uh, policy that uh, really fits the needs of majority of population. So what I'm trying to say, both in the new capital as well and any other marginal, major urban areas in Indonesia, the new urbanization policy in Indonesia should give more priorities and attention to the housing issue because usually we are talking about basic infrastructure we are talking about roads we are talking about water electricity and others but at the end of the day what the household needs is really you know a physical house for their living and uh, also the idea of the new capital as i think pak sofian already mentioned we are not prioritizing anymore the so-called uh, landed house. Instead, we are trying to go to multi-stories housing. Uh, it will depend. I mean, in the in new capital, it will be medium or uh, let's say tall building. But the point is for any urban areas in Indonesia, in order to cope with the fast growing urbanism, the Indonesians need to build more high-rise public housing. Mm -hmm. And of course, changing the mindset, changing the habit of ma majority Indonesian household that still 
you know, think that landed house is their house, you know. So the new mindset should be any type of house, as long as it is affordable, that would be our house, meaning that it could be landed, but maybe a little bit far away from, from the city or at the high-rise building if uh, it's located in the urban area. So hopefully that uh, will answer uh, the question. Terima kasih. Terima kasih, Pak. Uh, for you, Pak Sibarani, uh, there are numerous questions um, related to water scarcity, and Mbak Eka has already kind of touched on some of the specifics there. But I wondered if you could talk about the challenges that are um, that are concerning you regarding scarcity of water at the development site, and how does the design mitigate this issue? Yeah, I think for as as we already know that uh, Balikpapan is already a city that has lack access of uh, municipality water. Yeah, and this uh, probably uh, caused by the fact that uh, there is not much uh, investment in the uh, water reservoir in the city. In, in fact prior to uh, relocating the capital city to here, there was already numerous um, uh, water reservoir being uh, planned. And the issue at that time was, uh, of course, having 34 different provinces and uh, 400 something cities and kabupatens in, in Indonesia, the priority is not always get to Balikpapan. But then now the capital city is moving then the whole national uh, effort to to make it work start to come into the plan. So we end up having about five to six different reservoir being planned in the city. And of course, one is actually already in the making and it's ensuring that the Spakusamoy Dam will be the first one to be established. But then as we go along, we'll add more to it. In terms of making sure also we can collect as much water that we can get from the natural source. So creating it more a water sensitive city and collecting it, uh, polishing it and recycling it as much as we can. Because I think uh, although it's not really plenty, but rain is definitely one possible source. And the third one, of course, with this uh, intensive capital uh, investment in the, in the area, having a RO or isophormosis is also another way forward, although this needs to be still calculated in terms of uh, what would be the impact on the environment. So there are plans, but we do realize that it is uh, relatively a challenge that we need to really calculate and uh, plan strategically forward. Yeah, Trimakasi, yes, an important uh, one that you know, really has to be solved, I, I, um, I would say. Yes. yes. So, um, but Eka, maybe you can um, answer some of the questions that we have here regarding the involvement of various stakeholders in the planning and design process. So there's various questions that are asking, particularly about uh, local kind of input um, into the planning. Yes, uh, thanks, Gemma. IKM, and as like many capital cities, not only in Indonesia, it's mostly like a top-down approach. Yeah, the government decides, and the government assigns, uh, or, or through competition, assign. Here in this context, is possible to design. But I think it is right that um, it shouldn't be only one way, like from the government. But we also have to include the local stakeholders. Uh, we are always uh, talking about the design, which is, I think it's really good planning policy. That's, I think for me, that's really, really uh, perfect. Yeah. The thing is the implementation process, we really need to work 
hand in hand with the local communities. And I think at the moment, this is something which still a big challenge for the current uh, um, uh, government or maybe Badan Otorita, maybe that's the next level that we have to really work out um, really well. Because at the moment, uh, there might be a, a gap between what happens at the uh, national level and the local uh, government. Um, the second thing is, are they really ready? Once it is being installed, <laughs> it will change the morphology of the city, not only within the Ikain, but also outside of Ikain. This is what we call as the spillover effects. So what happened is all this infrastructure happened, people move, for instance, and of course, some will change, you know, things which perhaps it was forest or whatever it was, it will it will change. The daily life will change. The way people interact will change. The way technology that's happening in there will change. So uh, in terms of the community participations, in terms of the local stakeholders uh, participation, I think that's something that we really have to work fast uh, in order to include them in the process and make sure that they are ready as well, not only from the government's point of view, but also from the local context. And I think that is something that, that um, we really have to work hand in hand with the locals. Terima kasih. Pak Bambang, uh, there are various questions um, about also related to um, who will live in IKN in the, you know, kind of, I guess, in the earlier stages. Um, there was a question here from Craig asking, is there a plan for internal migration? How will it be populated? Oh, I see. Okay. Uh, of course, since this new capital will be built on the so-called uh, vacant land, you know, so basically we are building from the scratch. So we might expect a similar story, uh, although not uh, identical with what happened to Brasilia when it was moved for very first time in 1960s from Rio de Janeiro as capital of Brazil. At the beginning, Brasilia, many people say it is becoming like a, a very empty city with the government official becoming majority of the population. And in fact, most of the government official still do commuting, especially on the weekend between Brasilia and Rio de Janeiro. But it was 1960. But by time, of course, Brasilia now, for example, becoming the third biggest city in terms of population in Brazil after Rio de Janeiro and Sao Paulo. And Many people live there, uh, not only government you know, uh, officials, but also, of course, their families, plus, of course, the internal uh, migration from different parts of Brazil. So we might expect a similar uh, pattern in the new capital. Of course, at the beginning, especially in 2024, it will be mostly the government official who are already moved to the new capital, especially the ones related to the presidential office or the palace. But then uh, I believe until 2045, we expect more and more uh, government official to move there as well as you know uh, foreign diplomats. Plus, of course, at the end of the day, some business players, because again, uh, the idea of the new capital and you know, macro planning is to make it as a city with let's say a robust economic activities yeah not not to to substitute jakarta of course jakarta will still be the major business cities in indonesia but at least if i can take another international example the new capital will be like washington dc while jakarta will be the new york of indonesia so certainly 
the internal internal migration, especially first from the areas around uh, is Kalimantan, yeah, yeah, Balikpapan, Samarinda, and other part of Kalimantan, and also from other parts of Kalimantan Island itself. And I think after a few years, there could be more internal migration from different parts of Indonesia. There was a related question, Pak, while you're there about ownership and land ownership. Um, so just to ask a clarification, I mean, it's, this is government-owned land. Will there be opportunity? Yeah, 100%, uh, yeah. 100 government land. Yeah, the, the, the operation of the private companies in the current uh, in the current situation is more uh, because of this land has been uh, designated in the past as the industrial forest with uh, a private company. But the regulation under in, uh, industrialized industrial forest is that government still owns the land. So whenever the government needs the land, the company has to surrender the rights of land, the rights of uh, utilizing the land back to government. And that's what's happening in the area of new capital. So don't worry about the ownership because it's 100%. And when I desi uh, designed initially and choose the location first, uh, before I propose to president, the idea is for the new capital, we are trying to stay away from, you know, uh, land acquisition, you know, that will be, of course, very costly. We could keep talking about that one, but I'm going to move on. There's a question from yeah. Sharon Davies about um, the design and um, the level to which you've taken into account um, the needs of um, vulnerable people or people with disability, with mobility needs, um, including also women and their ability to get around at night, those kinds of. So one of the tagline from the, the day we started this uh, planning was the city for all. Yeah, so we are we are embracing all type of people, be it from income, uh, gender, and also disability, uh, and also the minority groups. So the city itself, from this point of view, what we are making sure is is universally accessible. We try to, of course, one of the challenges that I think one of the audience is also asking by moving the capital city towards the higher ground because of the flood area that we choose. I mean, in the beginning, we actually started with Ibu Eka's uh, sort of like explanation. We are very close to the water, yeah. We are very close to the bay, but then we have to shift up, especially when considering the sea level rise and also the preference of uh, elder, higher elevation. And that presents certain challenges on how we move around the city because the air, the upper area is much more undulating. So we are, we are looking at 10 to 15 meter up and down, up and down area. So we try as much as possible to level, level off this sort of uh, differences by creating an inter intermittent pedestrian connection between different zones and different heights, making sure that uh, people with wheelchair have access with mechanized uh, vertical solution, be it in the elevator or escalator. Also, we try to bring in the future potential uh, transportation mode, personalized mover uh, system that allow this uh, accessibility become uh, uh, open for many. And of course, by using this 
because for a public uh, easement connectivity, we also will make sure that there will be CCTV, there will be certain level of control and also uh, lights yeah, during especially nights, making sure that it will be accessible and also safe for uh, everyone. Issues about um, minority groups, I think that's something that Ekka also mentioned that especially with the level of income, that's probably the most uh, challenging one because uh, it is indeed one of the reactions that I got from uh, people, oh, it's such a grand design, very good, but then it doesn't look affordable. <laughs> it looks it looks pretty expensive to build. Yeah. So this is this is the the, the, the challenge that we have to overcome. And a short answer to that is I think we are trying to uh, creating a balance of housing's products, making sure that um, not only the half uh, that can access the, the, the housing, especially government uh, officials, definitely uh, not necessarily on the higher sort of like uh, income, certain areas, certain uh, income brackets will have to be ensured to have an access to the housing. So some of the incentive and subsidy will be given for the public housing and also affordable housing is already demarcated. Some of the pockets of the affordable housing, uh, but of course we try to rebalance it by creating also uh, more commercial uh, and higher value housing to subsidize, to cross subsidize this. So this is something that in, in, uh, in reality, I think it's hard to do in the current cities in Jakarta because the government has very little land. But as Pabambang said, now we, we level up the, the playing field because the government owns all the land. So the government has the tools to actually create a subsidy for a certain area and making sure some people pay more because if they have higher income, then they actually help to subsidize the one on the on the lower income bracket. So I hope that, of course, with the authority of Ibu Kota, which is being established now, that will be some kind of a, a priority for them to make sure that the housing balance is also uh, ensured. But Eka, um, there are several questions related to accountability and monitoring of this process. Um, can you tell us about what is in place? First of all, uh, my apology, Pabambang. I mean, I'm going to give uh, an objective perspective. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like the government always have a very good, yeah, a very good planning and all that. But we always uh, see that it's some. I mean, quite often it is lack in the implementation stage. So, uh, sure. I have to objectively say that, <laughs> even to Pasibarani, for instance. I mean, in terms okay. of a design, it might be very good, but now we have to be hand in hand controlling that and making sure that it is actually implemented. So if we yeah. look at the Peraturan President uh, number 63, um, Presidential Regulation, it is clear that the implementation is into five stages, yeah? So there will be like, uh, uh, even the movement yeah, uh, of people, as Pak Bambang already mentioned, uh, like there are five stages, how people are being moved, etc. So. In that sense, I think the government already talked about how it is planned, but then again, how it is being monitored and making sure that it happens. So now the government creates this, what, what we call as Badan Otorita IKN, as Pak Bambang and Pak Sibarid already mentioned. So the role of Badan Otorita IKN is just to make sure, it's like to manage everything and making sure that it is uh, done according to the plan. So 
then we as the community or, or our citizen we have to help them yeah to, to ensure that this is happening rather than just at the planning stage and quite often the planning is really good but the implementation is really poor for instance and we don't want that happen to our new ikn so i think uh, it is a big challenge uh, considering our um, you know not there is history about the implementation uh, but it's also promising for instance uh, if we can work together maybe we, yeah we can achieve all this Baba, uh, would you like to respond or add a comment uh, of course uh, you know i think i believe from the government point of view because uh, i'm no longer in government but at least from government of point of view uh, there will be an effort to ensure, at least let's say from the planning perspective, from Ministry of Development Planning, to make sure that the plan will be, uh, I mean, sorry, the implementation of the construction in the new capital city will follow the, the guided plan, the master plan that has been set up. And uh, I believe the master plan should be available later, maybe to the public in general, so at least from the public perspective as well as of course uh, our parliament could monitor what happened with the consistency between the plan and implementation and i think uh, this will be i think uh, a new practice in indonesia usually when you are talking about local development or cities development it will be under the monitoring of the local parliament but and local public as well but since this is like a national project and this is uh, a new capital i believe the the drive to do more monitoring and supervision i think will be will be stronger compared to what has happened in different parts of indonesia terima kasih pak and as i mbak eka and sibarani have reminded us this is a, an international city you know the world is watching uh as this amazing uh design is um rolled out and i guess that's also another incentive for the government to remain accountable and open and transparent about the progress of of the project thank you so much to Baeka, bapak bambang dan bapak sibarani terima kasih banyak sampai jumpa lagi terima kasih Thanks for listening to this podcast series from the Festival of Urbanism. Make sure you check out all the panel discussions at cityroadpod.org. See you next time.